Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. And when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. Yeah, and reversing diabetes. Absolutely. (laughs) And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we share studies that we found in the show notes. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook Mm -hmm. and we love to eat. Yep. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. It cannot. (laughs) Nope. Okay, maybe this one can be ignored, but (laughs) most of them. (laughs) All right, so let's start podcast number 140, Low Carb Sydney with Dr. Paul Mason. Could you say y'all do for a little... Okay, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Let's see. Last week's show was 139, cardiologist Nadia Ali on cholesterol. Uh, Yeah, we have one apology. Uh, Last week, Carl referred to LDL as a protein. Right. Uh, Well, a a protein is just a single polymer of amino acids bonded together covalently. It's a single molecule, whereas a lipoprotein is hundreds of molecules. Um, LDL is an example of that. Uh, It's really just a large droplet of hydrophobic molecules like triglycerides, cholesterol, fat-soluble vitamins. It's collectively, they're all called, they're called lipids, but it's like a big oil droplet wrapped in a skin of molecules called phospholipids. And they have an outer shell of phosphate ions that are water-soluble, and the inner bit, uh, the inner tail of these phospholipids is all fatty acids. So it's sort of like a glob of fat on the inside. You know, you biochem majors are all alike. (laughs) You just, you know. (laughs) Well, it's not a protein. (laughs) It's not a protein. You're absolutely right. To be accurate, it's not a protein. Yeah, there are some proteins involved. Uh, wrapping around this parcel of you know of oils is one or more proteins that tells the body how to address the, the package. So that's what the APOB is. It tells the body where the droplet came from and where it's got to go yeah. to, all the tissue that's able to load it up. So, yeah, that's what it is. But, you know, this little gaffe is really kind of enlightening to me about how the English language, and especially when we're talking about science, yeah. is, is kind of... Uh, vague and inexact at the same time it is exact if you understand mm. what you're talking about, right? So, to me, in the English language, lipoprotein, well, the, the last word in that compound word is protein. And there's sure. so, And therefore, I would think it's a protein. It's but, a kind of protein, yeah. But, it, but it's many proteins, right? Mm. But just to simplify, because it, it, it speaks to how complex these things are. That we're we're trying to simplify this for the common person and not yeah. overwhelm them, but at the same time we have to be accurate. And right. so I really appreciate that you you brought the the true uh, definition of what a lipoprotein is for everybody. 
you can you can hear experts getting getting some of these things wrong as well. Um, yeah, uh, I've heard cardiologists refer to uh, cholesterol and lipoproteins uh, interdependently. So they're right. referring. Oh, my cholesterol is my uh, yeah. I've I've look, gone to this patient. And their cholesterol is high, um, and you know the the, the the cholesterol is just one of the, uh, the molecules carried inside a lipoprotein. So um, yeah, it, it's common. We try to be as precise as we can. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we have an errata section. That's we, And that's why we ask people, you know, we're going to get it wrong over and over again. In fact, we did a Absolutely. whole show about the things we got wrong. <laughs> yes. Please write in and tell us when we, when we stuff up um, so that we can make a correction. Absolutely. And thank you, Richard, for that. Mm. Yeah. So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. Ketogenic diet is one that puts you in a state of ketosis where you burn fat for energy rather than glucose. Mm-hmm. And one way, well, the way that we did it anyway, is uh, to limit your carbohydrates to 20 grams or less per day. Mm -hmm. Protein is moderate, and we use the guideline of one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass every day. But in reality, most people tend to eat the same amount of protein they did before. Yeah. The body regulates that pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of our energy we get from fat. Fat. (laughs) <laughs> either the fat on your plate or the fat from that Krispy Kreme that you ate a decade ago. That's right. And if you're just starting keto, go ahead and listen to our Starting Keto Show at start.2keto.com. All right, buddy. I'm anxious. I haven't talked to you in a week, so how was it? Yeah, it was pretty good. I wrapped up low-carb Gold Coast. I went for a body surf on Monday morning with Professor Grant Schofield and Dr. Catherine Crofts. Wow. And then hopped in, hopped in a plane <laughs> and, uh, and flew back to Canberra. And now I'm getting ready. I've got my exam week this week. Yeah. And um, I also got I got some more dry ice yesterday, so <laughs> oh. some, I'm going to try not to blow my hand off this time, make some more dry ice cream. I really got to do that. I haven't done it yet. I haven't had time. Yeah, yeah. Well, next week, I've got a biology exam on Friday, and then on the following mm-hmm. Saturday, I'm supposed to be doing a chemistry exam, but I'm also supposed to be emceeing low-carb Sydney, <laughs> so I have to get a supplementary exam organized for that. Oh, man. Um, but the other thing is this week I'm getting ready for Carnivember because uh, my month of <laughs> Ovo-Lactoba is coming to an end. Yeah, that's right. How was it? Yeah. So I'm going to be carnivore for the whole of November. Uh, it was good. I really enjoyed it. I surprised myself. I thought I thought this is going to suck and the only way I can do uh, a, a, a month of, of uh, vegetarian is if I've got a month of carnivore coming up straight after it. But to be honest, I'm actually thinking that carnivore might be more difficult than, than vegetarian has been. Vegetarian has been great. I've it, it, sometimes I have trouble finding protein. Like, you know, when we're at, at the resort, that uh, low carb Gold Coast was at, um, there wasn't a lot of eggs other than for breakfast, mm-hmm. and um, you, you know you can't get things like tofu. That tofu is not that easy to find, and and right. and beans and other sources of vegetarian um, protein are always have a lot of carbs, and so I stayed away from all of that. Uh, but I ended up having a little bit of fish, so I had some like fatty salmon. Which was nice. Um, so that was that was uh, probably that was that was the only time in the entire month that I followed through on my commitment to have fish as part of over lactober. So it's really over pesco lactober. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, but it was only one day, and it was only because I was just feeling uh, like I I was in need of uh, of I was craving umami flavors, and so 
I, I use that as my protein signal. So, um, but other than that, the good thing about it is it's given me a new constraint on my cooking. And I always oh. find if I have to go through a, a series of constraints, like when I first went low carb, that was a new constraint on my cooking. And the things I was able to cook um, expanded dramatically. And it's been the same with vegetarian. I've learned a lot of new techniques for, for cooking food uh, that I wouldn't have done if I was uh, if I could just lazily just throw on a bit of meat. Yeah. 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 So, so that's my week. How was yours? Oh, my God. I... Uh my week was great. I mean, it was a great week at home. As uh, I told you before, I'm doing this documentary with mm. um, some subjects or clients or metabolic warriors, as I call yeah. them, uh, just tracking them. And they're doing great. I'm really proud of them. We've been making some great food. We started out at their own houses, yeah. cooking in their kitchens, and then we moved it to my house. Mm. Uh, just made... Uh, it more convenient, but um, they've been just killing it, and I'm very proud of them. But um, this is Saturday night, and Low Carb Houston just finished. And I'm down here in Houston. Uh, I came here um, because Dr. Nadir Ali mm -hmm. uh, hired me to come down and do the live stream and the recording of the conference. Now, right. this was like all the people that we know from Keto Fest and more – but mm -hmm. it was a two-day event, and it was actually a two-and-a-half-day event. So they started on Thursday night, all day Friday, all day Saturday. Yeah. But get this, Andreas Einfeld started uh, at 6.15 p.m. on Thursday night, and he did a bird's-eye view of the low-carb diet for metabolic disease, obesity, cancer, inflammatory disorders, and dementia. And then Gary Taubes took the stage. <laughs> He has such a presence, doesn't he? Gary Taubes. Oh, my God. I just, you know, I'm not worthy. Yeah, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. It, yeah, I bowed in front of him and I said, dude, uh, I'm, I've never met you in person, but you have, you know, he's influenced everybody. Yeah, yeah. I got everybody. to meet him in Zurich, actually, at the at that event. Uh, and that was, sounds like a similar kind of event, a lot of people there, but, um, yeah, yeah G G Gary Taubes, <laughs> what a dude. <laughs> and, and, uh, he agreed to, uh, come back on the show and Great. catch us up on what he sees as the current state of, uh, acceptance with the mm. uh, low carb. So we're going to be talking to him soon. All right. So I'm going to just n nail down a bunch of, uh, people that were at this, um, mm -hmm. event, uh, David Diamond. Marianne DeMasi. Yep. Right? Ivor Cummins, Eric Westman, Jeff, Jeff Gerber, Gerber mm -hmm. Amy Berger, yep. Amber O'Hearn. That sounds like Keto Fest all over again. <laughs> yeah, right. Amber O'Hearn, Peter Ballerstad. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Dave Feldman. Dave Feldman, Jimmy Moore. Jimmy Moore, there's another and one. And the deer spoke, of course, uh, mm -hmm. Brett Scherer. Right. Well, he wasn't at Keto Fest. No, he wasn't at Keto Fest, but mm -hmm. he was great. And he told stories about talking to patients. And he had a he had a, a heart patient who just had like a, a heart attack and a in a bypass, and his mm. wife was in for diabetes, and he was sitting in the in the uh, in the room, and he said, "Can I do this? Sounds mm. great." And he was like, "Uh, I don't know." And then mm. after he did the research, and he couldn't find any good reason why not, and all sorts of good reasons why, he said yes. And then the guy fixed himself. So, nice. uh, Angela Poff was there, PhD. Mm -hmm. She yeah. was talking about cancer and metabolism, she, the Wahlberg effect. She, of course, works with Dom D'Agostino. She does in Florida. Guys, so. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Uh, interestingly, Keith Norris, who's the founder of Paleo FX, was there, and he did mm-hmm. a talk. And it was kind of like an inspirational, motivational speaker talk. Like, he paced the stage. It was very, very motivational. Very Ted-like. Some great stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very Ted-like. Mm-hmm. Ali Miller talked about the anti-anxiety diet. Uh, John mm-hmm. Lemansky mm-hmm. uh, talked about biohacking the ketogenic diet. He was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Craig Emmerich talked, mm-hmm. uh, and Jake Kushner wrapped yeah, it up with cool. uh, type 1 diabetes. Yeah. Um, he, he's from Baylor College, and uh, yeah. he's a professor there. I spent the previous weekend with him on the Gold Coast, and uh, right. we, we did an interview with him, and that'll be coming up uh, uh, on the podcast. Yeah, he's he an was awesome, great. He's an awesome guy, yeah. Uh, yep. So anyway, I got to hang out with all these people and do a live stream, and- by the way, if if I, I I almost I'm I'm reticent to do this, but I'm really getting into this live streaming stuff. I've got mm. some gear that allows me to set up cameras and and do multi camera shoots from yep. one place with with great sounding audio. Um, and I've got the same gear here in Australia too. Yeah, that's right. It, the mm. technology has gotten so good, and uh, Jeff Gerber wants me to come and do the live stream for uh, Low Carb Denver. Well, it's not. It's not set in stone yet, but mm-hmm. we're talking about it. So, so that's good stuff. So, mm-hmm. if you've got an event that you'd like uh, live streamed, you know, you let me know. Mm-hmm. And we ended up tonight at a great barbecue joint in Houston. And they're, oh man, I I, had, I sat across from Peter Ballerstead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a funny guy. <laughs> oh, he's funny. He's yeah. hysterical. We all got these big beef ribs, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. They're like a pound and a half each. <laughs> <laughs> They're just enormous. They're like Fred Flintstone bones. Mm. And and he was just like in heaven. He was like, oh, my God. He's like, this is the way to eat vegetable. He's like, <laughs> I, I'm into, <laughs> I'm into through, eating. This is the way to eat um, vegetable through a cow. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he used very colorful words like, well, that's completely male bovine fecal matter. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> I just had a great week and a great yeah. weekend and Excellent. uh it's yeah. So that's enough about me. Let's give away some swag. Yeah, sure. Every show we pick a lucky winner at random from the members of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. Right. And today we're giving away a treasure trove of stuff from vendors we like, all of which you can find at fanclub.twoketo.com. We should also mention a caveat. Most of our vendors can only ship inside the United States. That's right. However, if we happen to pick someone outside the U.S., we will find something to send you, but it probably won't be the treasure trove. And that is until we can find a more affordable means of distribution. So who's our winner this week? Richard, today's winner is John Gonzalez. Congratulations, John. Let's tell everybody what John's won. Absolutely. Well, the first thing we're giving away is a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug with our mugs on it that says, mm-hmm. keep calm and keto on. And a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Ken Berry online at lies.toketo.com. Oh, my God. Ken Berry was awesome. <laughs> and a bottle of Stevia Sweet Barbecue Sauce, developed by a barbecue restaurant owner who plans to change the restaurant industry forever. Only two carbs per serving online at steviasweetbbq.com. And a cheese-making kit from Wine & Way. That's W-I-N-E and W-H-E-Y. That's Pam Zorn. She gave everybody at Keto Fest a kit so they can make their own fresh mozzarella. That's online at oneway.com. W-I-N-E-A-N-D-W-H-E-Y.com. 
And by the way, we have a date for Keto Fest. If you haven't heard, it's July 21st that weekend. So save the date. The 50th anniversary of the moonwalk. Right. Uh, We're also giving away a six-ounce cup of beef bone broth concentrate from Birthright Nutrition. Just add water, heat, stir, sip, and enjoy. Jam-packed with good stuff. More at birthrightnutrition.com. We're also giving away a bottle of Remag Magnesium Solution developed by Dr. Carolyn Dean, along with a copy of her protocol. And the Keto and Magnesium Manifesto, that's online at magmiracle.com. And we're also giving away a big bottle of fasting drops from Keto Chow. Uh, By the way, Chris Bear from Keto Chow is here. Mm. And while I was stuck in the control room and couldn't even get up to get coffee... The dude went down to Starbucks and got me a coffee. He so is a you, really Chris. nice guy. Yeah, well, I've been using Super. his. I've been using his fasting drops whenever I fast, and they're wonderful. Super nice guy. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, fasting drops is a well formulated blend of electrolytes, and you just drop a little in your water, and fasting will be a breeze. Online at fastingdrops.2keto.com. And two bottles of Sated, one chocolate, one vanilla. Online at sated.2keto.com. And from Keto and Co, a sampler six pack. A bag of brownies, four bags of different flavor cauliflower rices, and a bag of flatbread. Online at ketoand.co. And if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can buy all sorts of it online at gear.2keto.com. Absolutely. Go do it now. No, actually, we don't care. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for some... Yeah, okay, they took a second bite of that, Jerry. Now. <laughs> Third. <laughs> what you got, Cal? <laughs> oh, we have too much fun. All right, well, this is uh, in the newbies uh, section of our ketogenic forum. This is from Chris. Chris says, got my instant pot and my mojo this week. I would say I'm officially all in. Yeah, that sounds all in. <laughs> yep. Well, this week I received my keto mojo, which is a... Uh, ketone and glucose monitor with mm-hmm. affordable strips yeah uh and also picked up an instant pot exciting my mm. keto mojo is actually covered by my fsa so insurance right yeah during my last doctor visit i discussed my keto journey with him and he was very supportive we have good baselines from back in august but we will be doing blood panels every six months to monitor no issue with writing up a script for a glucose slash ketone monitor, and my claim went through my FSA without a hitch. Nice. Basic FSA for reference. Mm-hmm. My first test I did last night was 0.6. I'm thinking that's ketones. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Going forward, I plan to monitor in the morning a few days a week to see where I'm at. I do plan to monitor the glucose as well. I just want to study it up a bit more to ensure I understand it. This week, I also picked up the 8-quart instant Pot Ultra. We should totally get money from Amazon affiliates for this stuff. Why don't we do that? (laughs) We're stupid. That's why. Uh, (laughs) And uh, Chris says, it was a buy of the day on Amazon early this week for $120. Right. So Mm -hmm. we could have gotten five bucks from that. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Doing some keto country ribs tomorrow and either butter chicken or chicken shawarma later this week. By the way. I ran into the butter chicken lady. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. She said, hey, I'm your butter chicken recipe. Mm, That's my recipe. And I said, thank you. Thank you. Everybody thanks you. All right. Uh, Chris goes on. The cooking aspect is one of the best parts. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. I love to cook, and this has given me the ability to try some new things and to get a few new books. Loving it so far. Almost nine weeks in, down 17 of my 50 to 60-pound goal, and I feel great. Keto on. Well done. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and, you know, it's almost embarrassing how many success stories we're hearing. Yeah. Over and over and over again. It's like the same story. Yeah, it's exactly the same story. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I got. What do you got? I've got exactly the same story. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> no, actually. Now, this one's from Sandy. This was an email that Sandy <laughs> sent to dudes at com. We both replied to it. But she basically says, thank you for the show. I've recently started listening, and I'm about five episodes in. But I love your approach, and you've taught me more about my recent diagnosis of type 2 diabetes than my doctors or even my own research. You easily put it into terms that I can understand and relate to. Very well, good. Thank you very much, Sandy. We try very hard to do that. Yeah. Uh, Sandy goes on. She says, I want to share my history so you fully understand why I'm a new believer in the keto lifestyle. Well, I was diagnosed on the 25th of September this year. My A1C was 11.2 and my blood pressure Ooh. was higher than it had ever been. Mm. Uh, and that same day I started monitoring my sugar and the average was th uh, 319 milligrams per deciliter. Wow. I got, I got to tell you, Sandy, my, my HbA1c at the top was also 11.2 and my sugar was up around about 350. So you guys are metabolic twins. We're pretty close. Anyway, Sandy yeah. goes and she says, my doctor mentioned starting me on insulin that day. And I asked to be given an opportunity to try to make a change without going straight to insulin. So they put me on five milligrams of, of saxagliptin and four milligrams of glimepiride. Uh, and they scheduled an appointment for a month later and sent me home. Well, fast hmm. forward to uh, the 23rd of October, that's almost a month later, uh, and my A1C is already down to 8.6%. Nice. And I was told that my blood pressure was the lowest it had been in the last two years. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, she says, she goes on to say, my average sugar was 113. So she'd gone from 319 to 113 milligrams per deciliter per her glucometer. Yeah. Her doctor yeah. reduced her glimepiride to two milligrams because her sugar was consistently low after meals, which is a huge win for her because her ultimate goal was to be medication-free. Right. She says, you would think my amazing results would speak for themselves, but unfortunately I need help in explaining the science and justifying why I'm doing a ketogenic diet to part of my treatment team. My doctor was somewhat okay. He just made sure to make me aware of ketoacidosis, which I assured him I'd read up about and I understood. But when I explained to the diabetes educator arm of his team... All they mm. would say is how bad it was and that I would have to talk to the dietitian over and over and over. Oh, man. That's also my exact experience as well. <laughs> I, got, I, I was basically uh, marked down as non-compliant because uh, I wanted to try this ketogenic diet thing. Right. And you replied to her. I mean, I think I replied to her like, keep calm, keto on, sounds yeah. great, and, you know, good luck. But you gave her a more detailed response. Well, you also said Gary Fetke and uh, Tim Noakes have bo both gone through this um, process, you know, and come out the other side. And so, um, you know, right. uh, you know, convince your 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 medical people that you know that, that not all hope is lost. But anyway, my, right, right. My, my response was that I'm not her, a, a doctor, and I'm especially not her doctor. Uh, but Good. <laughs> my personal advice is I always follow my doctor's advice. But I have been known to get a second opinion and to fire my doctor if I think they're giving me bad <laughs> advice and to get a different doctor. But, you know, I right. will always – because the, doc, the doctor's job is um, uh, on a balance of caution to to do no harm, and that's the person you want right. advising you on the journey. Um, 
they may not be aware of all the information, and so that's that's right. that's the, the the issue about getting a second opinion. But having said that, I I can assure Sandy that my HPA one C was once eleven point two, so you know, and it's been under five point three for four and a half years. Yeah, it's currently five point one. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it, it is possible for for someone with an eleven point two to turn their life around. Uh, not mm. everybody can, but most people can. Now, you know, Sandy, her first uh, diagnosis was 11.2. Her first HbA1c mm. was 11.2. Her second was 8.6 a month later. Oh, wow. That's interesting, right? Because HbA1c is a measurement of high, how glycated red blood cells have become in their lifetime, and they only live for three months. Right. So, she her 8.3 was probably colored by the 11.2 and and higher before that. So in actuality, she's it on the would way probably down. be a lot lower in the next three months. Yeah, yeah, a lot lower. A lot lower. Her glucose isn't stable. It has dropped from three hundred and nineteen milligrams per deciliter. Uh, that was in um, on the twenty fifth of September. On the twenty third yeah. of of October, it was eleven uh, one hundred and thirteen. So yeah. you know, her she she is she is just showing the three month average where the first month. Uh, the, her her glucose has been one thirteen, and the previous mm. two months it had been three three twenty. So yeah. you know, so uh, one third of her blood cells uh, in that second measurement are fresh ones that have only they've only been alive since she went low carb, and they've never right. been diabetic. They're they're non. Yeah. She, one third of her blood cells are non diabetic blood cells. So in reality, if you took her average blood glucose over the last week, yeah, it would probably average out to in the fives or sixes. Yeah, if you did a fructosamine, which is a, a one-month average um, uh, yeah. a, a glycation of albumin, that, that will do a similar kind of thing. So her doctor's not aware of it yet, but she should feel confident that the next time she does a test, an HbA1c test in a month's time, she should be a little over six or maybe even a little under six, and she is well yeah. on the way to getting into a normal range. My big concern really is that her drugs, the way those drugs work, that the saxagliptin is a, a DPP-4 inhibitor. And what that does is it slows the rate at which you clear insulin. So what insulin you make mm. stays around for longer doing what it does. And the sulfonuria, which is a glimepiride, what it does is it causes her pancreas to make more insulin than it otherwise would. So wait a minute. Both of these drugs are, uh, are, are the, the goal is to make insulin hang around longer so it does a better job of clearing glucose. And make more of it. Right. And make more of it. So yeah. that's the opposite of what we're trying to do with the ketogenic well, diet. If you only look at it in the prism of glucose is bad, high glucose is bad, we've got to get glucose down, you want the person mm. to make more insulin. But the reason why glucose is high is because they've been making more insulin for 20 years. They've been yeah. making more insulin for 20 years and their body has become resistant to its own insulin. And if there isn't any glucose, there doesn't need to be so much insulin. Right. Neither of those drugs is having as much effect on lowering glucose as just not eating the stuff is. <laughs> you know? Yes, that's the best way to lower it is that's not lo put it in there in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> what, what her doctors really need to know is that even though those drugs probably aren't doing much to help, they could down the road and fairly soon they could cause some harm. Um, mm. let, let me try and explain. 
what used to happen before she changed her diet uh, was that she was gradually becoming more resistant to her own insulin. So she was gradually having to make increasingly more of it to lower glucose. And her problem mm-hmm. is that her pancreas couldn't keep up, so it was failing to produce enough, and so it was burning out. And right. this is why those drugs don't help. They cause her to make more insulin and keep it about for longer, and that was the primary cause of the whole problem. Um, so, you know, the possible harm is not only that it could push her pancreas to beta cell deficiency more quickly, but they could also cause her to have hypoglycemic events where she doesn't have enough glucose because the insulin stayed around longer than the pancreas was was expecting and the pancreas accidentally made more than it was expecting to. And so that could be a problem. So the advice really is when you stop eating sources of glucose, sugar and starch, um, your liver takes over making making the stuff. And that's a normal process that we do when we sleep. We do it Mm. when uh, during long, hard winters. We used to get into that state. We don't so much anymore now that we can eat right fruit every month of the year and we have you know granaries that store a year's worth of grain we don't have to um go through that uh, every winter like we used to but the important right. thing is that glucose is controlled not by her poor pancreas making more insulin when it sees more glucose but it's now being controlled by her liver making it on demand whenever glucose is low Right. Um, so in, in that state, her pancreas only needs to make just enough to be able to use that much smaller amount of glucose. Um, and those drugs cause her to overproduce insulin and for, uh, you know, and that, and that could, um, cause an overcorrection. So anyway, that's something that her doctors want to, yeah. she, she wants to let her doctors know, you know, um, uh, that, that her, uh, glucose is coming in more into control. Um, it's made on demand by a liver and that, um, and they can really, they, I mean, it's probably a good advice to, to, for, for her doctors to uh, consider dialing back on that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I sent her a couple of links of some papers that, uh, that we'll put in the show notes. But essentially, you know, if your doctors are, are, are interested in this idea of using a low carbohydrate diet to treat diabetes, we're going to link a, a, some uh, content from Verta. And I suggest also listening to next week's podcast, which should be Stephen Finney. Yes. Stephen Finney, oh my God. Yeah. On two keto dudes, really? I know. Our stupid little show? We are not worthy. (laughs) We're not. (laughs) We're like the cable access TV show (laughs) of podcasts when it comes to- (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Anyway, that's my mail. That's great. Uh, So, set up this interview that you did with Paul Mason. Yeah, so Paul and I have known each other for about a year. I first met him at a low-carb conference in Sydney, and he came to speak at KetoFest that uh, Carl, you came to, at KetoFest in Canberra, Australia. He was one of our our primary speakers, and he gave two excellent presentations. He's also done one online, which, uh, you know, if ever anyone has ever told you that you will uh, clog up if you stop eating fibre, your 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 intestines will clog up and you'll be unable to uh, move a bowel movement <laughs> unless yeah, yeah. you eat fiber. Go and what we're going to link in this show show notes. We'll link a copy of that video uh, that yeah. Paul did on fiber. But because as it turns out, and we, we mentioned it in this in this interview, but as it turns out, it's everything is exactly the opposite you thought it was. <laughs> and of the course, same, and the same with sunscreen and sun exposure. And Paul is brilliant. He we did a really good. Um, interview on live on stage at Keto Fest, but unfortunately the audio was 
was uh, yeah. not the best. So this last week, I saw Paul at the Gold Coast, and he's asked me to be the MC for his event, Low Carb Sydney, on the 10th of November. Uh, which is coming up soon, so Saturday the 10th of November. Uh, so if you're in Sydney or if you're in New South Wales and you want to talk to some uh, low-carb uh, healthcare pro- uh, professionals uh, or you want to meet a keto dude, that's the place to do it. All right. So we spoke about all of that and more during this interview. Very good, very good. Hi, welcome back. It's Richard Morris here. I'm in uh, Canberra again, and I'm talking to Dr. Paul Mason, who is in Sydney, and Paul and I have known each other for some time. We first met at a low-carb conference, and Paul came down to speak at KetoFest in Canberra. Uh, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. We, we actually spent last weekend together up at uh, Gold Coast uh, at the low-carb event up there. We just can't get enough of each other. No, that's right. What, what do you think of it? It was wonderful. Yeah. I mean, look, it was sold out. It was great lineup of speakers. It was, uh, you know end-to-end quality talks, and good food. Yeah, that was great. Stephen Finney, how good was he? <laughs> Look, that guy is a encyclopedia of biochemistry just walking around in a blue shirt. He's a living legend. <laughs> Always a blue shirt. We actually recorded a podcast uh, with him and uh, he wore a, a, a t- like a, a, a polo shirt. I d- almost didn't recognise him. <laughs> I, I've almost, I'm embarrassed to ask him, but I want to know if that a bit of a, a Steve Jobs kind of, you know, the, the turtleneck effect that he's going for. <laughs> the turtleneck. <laughs> it's, it, even the, all of the Verda videos, he's got the blue, blue shirt on and he, he wanted to make sure that my podcast was not video so that he didn't have to wear a blue shirt. So, yeah. <laughs> so, now that was that was a great conference. Now, you're planning one coming up very soon, aren't you? We are in uh, at the 10th of November at Sydney mm. University. We're uh, going to be doing the same as we've uh, done at the previous ones. We get a, a great lineup of speakers, some fresh talks, and uh, hopefully it'll be a cracker of a day. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all Aussies, isn't it? So I, I, I'm going to MC this event, which is going to be fun. Look, I think that's going to be one of the big attractions there, Richard. Um, and not only are you going to MC it, but uh, we've got a couple of patients who are coming in that you're going to be interviewing as well. Yeah, a live interview that'll go into the podcast, a live interview f- from the stage. So where can people get tickets for this event? So this is uh, at Eventbrite, mm-hmm. but if you go to the lowcarbdownunder.com.au website, or if you just type Low Carb Sydney November into Google, the links will pop straight up. I'll tell you a secret. It's actually the day of my chemistry finals uh, for uh, first year by first year uh, chemistry day, and you, uh, I had to get them to uh, to give me an earlier date. So I'm sitting that exam all by myself. <laughs> now that I did not know. So kudos to you for uh, the commitment to be there. Yeah, no, no, I, no, I, I wouldn't have missed this for the world. It's it's awesome. Uh, and and my chemistry uh, lecture is really good. They they moved an exam for me in first semester so that I could go to that Zurich conference. Um, where I met Gary Tabbs for the first time and uh, did an interview with uh, Catherine Crofts and Sarah Halberg. So, you know, they're, they're very good at looking after me. Well, they've probably got a form with your name on it now. <laughs> that guy. So, uh, you didn't even ask for a doctor's letter, I noticed. No, no. Well, that's true. <laughs> I, I know a few doctors. I'm sure I can get one if I need to. So tell me more about this event. You're going to speak at the event? Yeah, so I'll be doing uh, a couple of talks there. So mm-hmm. there's a couple of new topics which I've been uh, sort of researching in the background for a couple of years now, and I think it's uh, about time that we released them. So 
One of them is on vitamin D. Oh, nice. There's a huge misunderstanding on the role of vitamin D, Mm -hmm. even within the low-carb community. And I don't know whether I want to uh, give away all the secrets now, but essentially vitamin D is what we call a surrogate marker for something else which actually gives the actual real health benefits. Oh, interesting. And that's... So when you're exposed to sunshine naturally... Mm-hmm. You get other chemicals in addition to vitamin D, which give a lot of the health benefits. And that's why when you replace vitamin D with a tablet, you're not getting the full spectrum of benefit. Right. So we make we naturally make vitamin D in this top layer of our skin. Um, and On exposure to UVB rays. Right. And so from cholesterol, right? It is, a, yeah. It's a, a downstream metabolite of cholesterol. Yeah, so you you could almost reduce your your circulating cholesterol a little bit by going out in the sun sort of for five minutes every day and just getting a little bit. <laughs> Indeed you could. Yeah. Indeed you could. And if reducing cholesterol was a goal. Yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there's another side of the equation as well. And when it comes to vitamin D, because that necessitates sun exposure. Mm. And there's some uh, very interesting data on all-cause mortality and exposure to the sun. And even to the extent of some studies have uh, looked at skin cancer incidents of all-cause mortality. And just let me say, some of the findings are very surprising. Oh, interesting. So I know that somebody did a study once that included the postcode. The data included the the mortality rates and their postcode. I think this was in the UK. And you could actually find a correlation between where somebody lived and cardiovascular disease rates. And the theory was that vitamin D was involved. The further north you went, the less UVB exposure you got. Uh, the the greater the chance of uh, cardiovascular disease. And that's the role of vitamin D as a surrogate marker Mm. because it it tracks very well to sun exposure, but Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the what's giving us the benefit. Right. And I'm not familiar with that study you talk about, but Mm. the World Health Organization has published data on all-cause mortality across seasons. And it's very interesting. They give you three lines, one for the northern hemisphere, one for the southern hemisphere, and one for equatorial region. Right. And what you notice is that in the northern hemisphere, you see they have a peak in all-cause mortality over the January-February period of time, Mm. compared to the southern hemisphere where we see it in the July-August region. So they're sort of, they're graphs that are sort of inverse of each other, and the equatorial region is a a relatively flat line throughout the whole year. Wow. So, and obviously, you know, this is worldwide data. It's um, it's quite convincing that there's something happening with the seasons. Yeah. And I think it's reasonable to hypothesise that it is actually sun exposure. Yeah. Well, that would that would be, certainly be a good chance. Another another thing could be, um, uh, you know, the t- temperature and f- you know, flu season and you know, influenza f- in the elderly. Well, is quite yeah. Deadly, so. Yeah. That, that's certainly true. There's a lot of confounders there. That in itself is an evidence, but some of the other things certainly um, uh, there is mechanistic evidence that you can point at in terms of blood pressure going up and down Ooh, yeah. and even things like mitochondrial efficiency, hmm. which is something I might touch on in the lecture as well, yeah. which is basically, uh, you know, for the electron transport chain, it's getting a little bit um, nerdy here. Yeah, that's okay. We can go. Um, we can, we love to go Basically, some <laughs> electrons are used usefully and mm. some electrons uh, are wasted. Right. And you actually waste less electrons um, 
after you have exposure to a certain kind of sun. Hmm. Isn't that fascinating? And then I, I guess there's one more, or, or there's a couple more things that um, you can actually reduce your chance of sunburn. So obviously, if people are saying, "Well, do I need sun exposure?" Um, and that's a that's a very controversial thing in Australia. In Australia, because, you know, definitely, yeah. You know, since the 1980s, we've had the slip, slop, slap campaign and all of mm. these things. This is an anti-cancer campaign to uh, slip on a t-shirt and slop on sunscreen and slap on a hat. And uh, that's been very effective at reducing sun exposure, but it, it's basically, uh, you know, demonised all sun exposure. And I don't think the full health implications of that have been explored. Yeah. And there's actually a difference in the amount of UVA and UVB exposure. They're the two types of UV radiation that penetrate the atmosphere down to ground level, mm. depending on the time of day. So right. you can actually... Um, I guess, theoretically reduce your exposure to the DNA-damaging UVB radiation mm. simply by, you know, timing your sun exposure. Right. And then there's one more thing to make this message a little bit more complex is the omega-3 index, which is how much of the good omega-3 fats you have within your body. Right. And there's been interventional studies where they've actually exposed people to UV radiation mm -hmm. and measured the time it takes for their skin to burn. That's called the minimal erythemal dose. Right. And it's actually been shown that you can double the time it takes for your skin to burn just by increasing the omega-3 index. So more omega-3s, less omega-6s. More omega-3s, less omega-6s means less sunburn, less damage to your skin. Isn't that fascinating? Because I have, uh, you know, typical uh, British-Irish skin. I, um, I, I've had some really bad burns in my life, um, bad sunburns. I, look, I grew up in Queensland, so, you know, <laughs> sunburn is almost a, a, yeah, well, a, I mean, part, that, a rite of passage. That demographic doesn't belong there. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that's, this is true. Uh, but the interesting thing is, ever since I've been ketogenic, in the last four and a half years, I have—I don't think I've ever had a sunburn at all. That is supported by the literature. That's supported by experimental evidence. And so that's why. So, we, so we, we're basically on a ketogenic diet. We have a lot, lot less um, seed oils. Uh, and we're cooking at home, and we're trying to prioritise omega-3 in our diet so that instead of a, a 60 to 1 ratio of 6 to 3, we've got more of a... Well, especially if we're having grass-fed produce. So when we know, if we have a look at the fatty acid analysis of beef, for instance, there's a huge difference in grain-fed and grass-fed beef. It could be, you know, more than 3% of the total fatty acids are omega-3 in grass-fed beef. Yeah. For grain-fed beef, it can be as low as zero. Yeah. I, we had um, uh, Peter Ballastead, uh, Dr. Peter Ballastead on, and he, he said, you know, uh, grass-fed is better than grain-fed beef. Grass-finished is also better than gra grain-finished beef. Uh, but he said, you know, if you're really trying to prioritise omega-3, just eat salmon. <laughs> he said, you know, it's just so, that the amount of... Uh, uh, polyunsaturated fats in a in a slice of beef is uh, a lot less. Except a lot of our salmon now is actually farmed, and oh, they're actually yeah. fed grains. And there's a substantial drop in the omega three in farm salmon compared mm. to wild caught salmon. Yeah. And this is obviously raises a lot of issues about sustainability of food supply. But unfortunately, um, modern agriculture and farming techniques uh, are altering our food supply in ways yeah, that that's a good we point. can't predict i think for, for for salmon we really need to get, we need to 
uh, I guess we need to farm algae first and then from the algae exactly. farm krill and then from the krill farm salmon. And if it was fed algae, I mean, that would be wonderful. I mean, that's what that's actually the, uh, the substrate which is used to convert into omega-3s. Right, yeah. Well, al- algae makes all of the omega-3s, yeah, in the, in the... Yeah, so if you feed, if fish are feeding algae, then fantastic. They're, they have the capacity to generate omega-3. Mm. Well, we should be able to grow algae. That shouldn't be too difficult. We should be able to grow it from wheat, you know. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, it's, look, that's actually a, a conversation for another day, but I am actually aware of some really interesting... Um, uh, work that's being done on cleaning up water bodies at the moment and the, the products that are coming out of it, it, it actually could be one, you can clean up algal blooms in water bodies and number two, you might actually be left with a very useful material at the end of it. Yeah, genius. So so you, I, I understand you wrote a book uh, on uh, sports medicine. Is this true? A textbook? Look, uh, I, I was lucky enough to be asked to write a chapter in a sports medicine textbook. It's one of the most prominent sports medicine textbooks in the world. It's by, um, it was founded by Dr. Peter Bruckner and Dr. Right. Krim Khan, so yeah. two strong advocates of the low-carb diet. Yeah, Peter Bruckner's been on our show a couple of times. Yeah, he's, uh, he's awesome. Peter's a bit of a mentor of mine. I've, uh, mm. He's been very gracious with his, um, his time that he spent with me and advice that he spent with me over the last few years because I'm actually a sports and exercise medicine physician. Right. And he was actually one of the founding members of that college uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. So uh, he's now sort of towards the end of his career and I'm sort of nearer the start. But, yeah, when he asked me to write this uh, chapter, he said, Paul, look, I want you to write a balanced chapter on nutrition and health, respecting both viewpoints. Right. And I said, sure, Peter. Mm-hmm. I was fully intending to do that. And then I was sitting down, I was writing, and I was looking at the literature, and I was thinking, there's just no way that I can write a viewpoint that I guess is quote-unquote respectful for the low-fat camp if I'm being honest to the literature. Right. There's just no support. So I went back to Peter and I said, look, Peter, I'm trying to write a balanced viewpoint, but the simple fact is there's no evidence to support it. And he said, sure, you just, just, write what you, <laughs> just write what the evidence says. Yeah. So it's actually, look, it is actually well balanced mm-hmm. in terms of, and it's been through an editorial process. There's over 300 references to it. Nice. Mm-hmm. It's pretty comprehensive, but I think the simple fact is when people read it and they see the, uh, the weight of evidence in support of reduced carbohydrate diets, mm. I really don't think there can be any scientific argument. And I'm actually quite excited to see when it gets uh, published. It's actually, um, it's been to the editors. It's going to be published by McGraw-Hill. It's finished all the final proofs. So, the, um, the end product is there. We're just waiting for it to be printed. Yeah, I'm looking actually at uh, at a proof of it now, and it's it's fairly comprehensive. It's actually it's actually a really great gift to you to be able to go back into the literature and just shore up, you know, and, and understand exactly where your biases come from. Um, Peter saying to you, I sh- you know, do it as balanced as you can, and you doing the research and finding out that. The, the 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 literature doesn't support that. Um, you, you know, you've you've come away from from that with uh, with a, a, a fascinating um, understanding of the of the literature. Well, there was a couple of things that really surprised me. So I was even clinging to some old biases myself. Okay. 
two leap out at me. The first one is fiber, and the second one is monounsaturated fats. Ah. And I mean, they had never really entered my radar as something to research, but um, because we have sections on them, we have sections on every um, macronutrient, and mm. uh, you know, I uh, I went into the literature and I was absolutely astonished to find there's no experimental evidence supporting the use of fiber for the symptoms of constipation. And also the the evidence that monounsaturated fats are uniquely beneficial for cardiovascular disease is simply not there. And, mm. you know, we basically tell people to go and swim in olive oil. Yeah, pretty much. Um, a la Mediterranean diet. Mm-hmm. And the evidence is just not there. And I think they were two of the most interesting things that I learned when I was writing the book. Yeah, I like this about uh, uh, fibre. You did a really good um, presentation at one of the Sydney Low Carb events, and, and we'll link to that in the show notes, uh, where, you, where you actually showed that there was a study that was looking into fibre and correlating that with... Um, symptoms of constipation. Symptoms of constipation, yeah. So probably one of the big things about fibre that's misunderstood is there's a lot of research mm-hmm. that uses transit time and faecal bulk right. as their outcome measures. Mm-hmm. And they use them as surrogate measures or surrogate markers for benefits within constipation. Right. So, the idea is that if something moves a little bit quicker through your gastrointestinal tract Mm -hmm. or if what comes out the other end is a little bit bigger, then that must be beneficial for the patient. Now, here's the thing. I've never once had a patient come to me and say, you know what, I would just like you to speed up my transit time by about, you know, maybe 16 or 18 hours if you could. Right. And could you please just increase the size of my fecal matter? No, I want more and I want it faster. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Nobody ever says that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I want it a bit bigger and I'd like it a bit quicker. (laughs) Now, what they complain about, they say I'm bloated. They say I I can't defecate. Mm. I, I strain. Mm. There's bleeding. It yeah. hurts. Yeah. They're the symptoms of constipation. And when we actually have a look at the evidence on the symptoms of constipation, there's never been not one randomized control trial performed on it. So wow. the best <laughs> trial that I found was the one I mm. presented. It was an experimental design, but it wasn't a true mm. randomized control trial. But the right. results of that were astonishing. It found that when fibre was completely eliminated from the diet, Mm -hmm. that it led to complete resolution of six of the symptoms, all six of the symptoms of constipation which people complain about. And the statistical significance was um, something in the order of um, a p-value of 0.001. That's fascinating. So we normally think that the more fibre you have, the more regular you're going to be. I know, and uh, I suppose one of the uh, the most interesting points from my talk, the slide that most people like, is when I present the analogy of a traffic jam. And if we think about constipation as being a problem of passing something through a small hole, um, think of it like a traffic right. jam, then why would we conclude that adding making that something bigger would help it pass through that small hole. And that's just like... Having more traffic, yeah. That's like adding cars to a traffic jam and thinking it'll help it to clear. Mm. I mean, clearly, it's just (laughs) ridiculous. 
Yeah, it's that is absolutely crazy. So the finding from this study was essentially that uh, if you want to reduce constipation, reduce fibre in your diet. Exactly, and even to the point of eliminate <laughs> fibre from the diet. Yeah. The, I heard an interesting theory by uh, Professor Finney uh, this last weekend. I've heard him say this before, but but he fleshed it out in full detail that uh, the idea that um, – uh, that one of the reasons why fiber is is indicated for uh, is that um, our, our gut bacteria uh, convert that fiber. We can't digest it, so it makes its way all the way down to the large intestine, and then our bacteria turn that into short chain fatty acids, particularly uh, butyric acid. And butyric acid turns out to be uh, a very good, in fact, the preferred source of energy for uh, the cells of our gut. And in fact, when people have a, a colostomy, they have a diversion where part of the gut's just not used and they have it like a, 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 a colostomy bag and the gut below that, the large intestine below that, isn't used, people have problems with it dying off. And one of the ways to keep it alive is to, to stick butyrate, basically stick butyrate in the other end. Well, here's a little bit more nuance to that, is that the butyrate actually gets converted into ketones within the colonocyte. Yes. So, the cells that actually line the colon, they actually end up using the short-chain fatty acid as energy in the form of ketones. Now, one of the big problems with right. short-chain fatty acid production is that the delivery of the energy to the cells that line the colon is very patchy. So a lot of these are produced very early in the colon and their rate of absorption is incredibly mm. rapid. So they usually don't pass through to the cells lining the distal part of the colon. And that's really important because right. some of the inflammatory bowel diseases actually will affect the distal colon more. And yeah. here's the thing. If you get benefit from providing a source of ketones to the clonocytes and you can get a patchy delivery of ketones as energy via short-chain fatty acids via fibre, sure. how does that compare to a systemic source of ketones in the blood supply. that's going to yeah. every clonocyte throughout the whole length of the gastrointestinal tract that you see in somebody who's in nutritional ketosis? Exactly. And so maybe it could well be that fibre is necessary when you're on a high-sugar diet because you're not making your own ketones. Fibre would be beneficial if you're not in ketosis, but only beneficial to some mm. populations of cells within the colon. And if that happens to be part of the colon that's inflamed in you, then it's certainly logical yeah. that you'd get some benefit, but it doesn't compare to the benefits yeah. you get from being in nutritional ketosis. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, so... I guess one of the other topics uh, to uh, take a, a diversion back to the conference coming up on the 10th is I'm going to be looking at inflammation mm. and how that relates to weight loss or difficulty in losing weight. Fascinating. And what it comes down to, and uh, it relates very tightly to iron levels within the body. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure a lot of people, and I'm sure you're familiar with the measurement of ferritin, which we use to see whether there's enough iron in the yep. body. Now, here's the problem. Mm -hmm. Ferritin represents storage of iron, but it doesn't necessarily represent iron that's available for use. Right. So, when the body's inflamed, in a state of inflammation, the body has evolved mechanisms where it, it 
it locks the iron up, basically sequesters it, because it doesn't know the difference between inflammation and an infection. So if there's an infection in the body, the germs, the bacteria, they actually benefit from having a ready supply of iron. So it makes a lot of sense to put the iron under lock and key for a period of time so it doesn't help the bacteria proliferate. Right. But the trouble is, if you're chronically inflamed, and we know that obesity is a state of chronic inflammation, Mm -hmm. then you end up, you ingest iron and your body just stuffs it into these ferritin molecules, but it's not able to be used. So you end up with basically starvation in a a land of plenty. Mm. There's a lot of iron there but it's not able to be utilised. And the problem that this causes is that within the the cytochrome C pathways, these pathways that need iron um, to function properly, they're involved in energy metabolism. Sure. And if you don't have enough iron available, you reduce your energy expenditure. And if we go back to the first law of thermodynamics, to lose weight, you still need to... You need to burn more energy than you're taking in. And we're dealing with the ketogenic diet with the stuff that's coming in, but this side of it is impairing the energy expenditure. So chronic inflammation actually does contribute to you know, issues with weight loss. And I find in a lot of my patients, if they have chronic inflammation, sometimes we need to go hunting for the cause Sometimes it might be a, a parasitic infection in the gut. It could be, it could be almost anything. Mm-hmm. And when you treat the cause of inflammation and you have the inflammation normalized, magically the weight loss starts to happen again. That's fascinating. The, the, this whole idea of, of being starving in a land of plenty, it, 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 it's very similar to the paradox of a fat man who is hungry all the time and has no energy to do anything. It's near identical. Yeah. And it, it, so this is, this is just a, yet another example of how we can be overfed and underdelivered with energy. Absolutely. And uh, I think the, uh, the problem here is that you end up with a, a feed-forward cycle, yeah. whereas if you're, if you're increasing your body weight, you're increasing your inflammation mm. because we know that the fat cells, the adipocytes, they actually secrete something, a cytokine called IL-6. Yep. And IL-6 is known to upregulate C-reactive protein, which is one of the best markers for inflammation we've got. So you could almost end up in a cycle there. And, you know, some people feel that they're trapped on this treadmill. And often we just need to identify what's causing the problem and try and break that cycle. So beta-hydroxybutyrate in circulation has uh, been shown to reduce inflammation uh, mechanistically. Absolutely. So your theory would be that you have high ferritin levels because your iron's being sequestered away from, uh, in theory, bacteri- bacteria that's causing the inflammation, but your inflammation is systemic. It's not caused by the infection, yeah. Yes. Well, the body treats it like it's bacteria. It's not necessarily bacteria, but the the defense mechanism in the body, they don't really distinguish between what's inflammation. They assume that because inflammation is not a natural state that we've evolved to, to be in, um, the body treats any inflammation right. like infection. And so when you go on a ketogenic diet, what happens is you treat the inflammation, your ferritin levels go down because now your body is releasing iron to be to be used because it knows that there's um, there's no back there's not bacteria around causing an infection. Exactly. And so it, it's really mistaking inflammation for infection. Exactly. Wow. And we've actually identified the mechanisms by which it works. There's a uh, there's a protein called hepcidin, mm-hmm. 
which actually regulates a, a channel called ferroportin. Mm-hmm. And ferroportin is the doorway which uh, iron actually can get in and out. Hence the name, yep. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's, uh, you know, the mechanisms are, are quite there. I'm, I'm sort of surprised that more people haven't made a big deal about this in the past. Well, they will after your presentation at uh, Low Carb Sydney. So that, I mean, your last one on fibre has been shared all over the place. So I, I, I bet this will be as well. So uh, if anybody wants to uh, see some Australian doctors talking about low carb research, um, I think my cardiologist is going to be there as well, I believe. Your cardiologist is going to be presenting, I believe. Excellent. Dr. Jason Kaplan. Excellent. So, uh, and, uh, so, so that's going to be awesome. So, um, I'm really looking forward to this event. Uh, I may be a little bit distracted because I'll have just come from a chemistry final the day before, <laughs> but, uh, I'm, sh- that's my last, uh, my last exam for the, for the semester. Now, is it multiple choice? No, no, they're short, short questions. I've got to do mechanisms. Oh, dear. So you can't even choose C. <laughs> the Warren method, the Shane Warren method. No, I can't. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking good for the chemistry final. Actually, it's a biology final I'm a bit worried about, but, uh, next year I get into actual biochemistry. All I needed to do this year was to, to, to show that I had enough biology and enough chemistry to be able to do second and third year biochem subjects. So. That's uh, it's all good. Well, I'm I'm excited to see where this goes for you. I mean, oh, I, thank you. <laughs> I, I really don't know what's on your pathway ahead, but I'm damn sure it's going to be exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to your presentation and uh, the other presentations at the conference. Again, that's on Saturday, November tenth. Well, Paul, thank you very much. This has been a wonderful chat. Uh, I look forward to seeing you very soon at the at the conference. Richard, thanks again for having me on your podcast. It's uh, always a pleasure chatting to you. I always learn something new <laughs> thanks mate bye see you later Heard you say you're due for a little. okay carl so that was the interview what did you think that was great i mean the rapport you guys have is obvious you know you've known each other a long time mm-hmm. and yeah. uh and he's brilliant I mean, he, he it's just amazing to me all the ridiculously smart people that that i've personally been exposed to over the last two and a half years when i started mm-hmm. I was so stupid about keto and about low carb and we all were. Know, watching all these videos <laughs> and the, the resources that you gave me and the people that we've met over the last few years is just astounding. And it, it just makes me very uh, grateful to, to be able to uh, know these people and to just to listen to them talk and to learn from them. Mm. And in most cases, these people don't have books. They don't have a barrier to push. They're just trying to get information out because their job is, is healing patients and they can't get to enough patients. The universe is making diabetics faster than people like Paul can treat yeah. them. And so they're trying to get information out uh, on the internet. So uh, uh, I, I can, I can reflect a, f- a few uh, personal experiences from, the, from some of the things that you guys talked about, mm. like uh, omega-3 and sunburn. Yeah. Uh, there was a time, and I was, I was badly deranged at the time, when I went out to Block Island, and Block Island, if you live in the Northeast or in the you know the the Connecticut, Rhode Island, New York area, mm. is this island that you can only get to by ferry, and it's a summertime. Uh, how shall we say? It's like a destination for people who just want to party. 
Right. Okay. Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's like you go there and there's quaint shops during the day, but it's all bars and hop and nightlife. So I got a chance to play with a band out there and it was a mm. weekend thing. Yeah. And you go out for the whole weekend, they put you up, you play for two nights and, you know, they feed you and all that stuff. And, but during the day on Saturday, it's all beach, right? Mm. And so I went out on the beach and because I felt immortal, <laughs> uh, I didn't wear any sunscreen, yeah, and I was pretty much out. Of, and I turned into a lobster. Of course, you did. <laughs> uh, you know, burn, burn, burn. I've done it myself too. Yeah. Well, you, as you said with Paul, you you are in sunburn country. Yeah. In yeah. Australia, yeah, Queensland, yeah, you, especially. Yeah. <laughs> right. You go to the store for eggs, and you get a sunburn. Right. Yes, that's true. <laughs> So, um, fast forward to the last time that I was in the sun, which was when I was down at Alan Meisner's place in Pensacola Beach, Florida, mm. and I spent an afternoon on the beach body surfing and stuff, and just, uh, there was nothing. I mean, I, I had, I, I, now granted, I wasn't out there all day, but- Yeah, but Florida is more equatorial than Block Island. It is. Yeah, you should have had more sunburn in Florida. You would have I thought. I should have had more sunburn. You would have thought. <laughs> I just, I did not have sunburn. Yeah. And I remember Ken Berry talking about in his book, um, Lies My Doctor Told Me, mm. he talked about, you know, the whole idea of putting sunblock on your body is kind of ridiculous. Just don't be in the sun so long that you burn. Yeah. Because yeah, you need the vitamin D. We, we, as people, as humans, we spent hours and hours and hours in the sun. Yeah. Naked. What happened? Mm. Yeah, naked mostly, yeah. right? With a yeah. loincloth. Yes. Well, uh, I mean, that- <laughs> with a Blue Lagoon loincloth. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that th- you might have. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, but uh, I was but, fully clothed, I mean, man. We, we both have Scandinavian, <laughs> some Scandinavian heritage, and yeah. uh, some English and Irish heritage, and yeah. you know, one of the reasons why. Paler people live further north is because um, because of this vitamin D. We need to be able to convert enough of, of uh, cholesterol in the surface of our skin into vitamin D. And as mm. Paul actually mentioned, and he'll be talking in his presentation at Low Carb Sydney, it's some of the commensurate effects of that are what really cause the advan- advantages. But anyway, the, right. I, it's certainly true that since I've been keto, I haven't had a really bad sunburn. I think you know, Queenslanders still should slip, slop, slap, but I would suggest going outside for just you know 10 minutes uh, in the morning, get your eyes acclimated to the fact that it's daytime and just give it, get a little bit of sun on your skin before you put sunscreen on. Because um, you need your body needs to be able to get some sun exposure to be able to convert cholesterol into vitamin D. Yeah, but also he said that you know if you've been keto for a while and haven't been out in the sun, you should maybe test your limits. Like go out yeah. in the sun without a shirt or you know with a mm-hmm. top or whatever, and 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 just see what happens. I mean, yeah. now the problem with sunburn, of course, is that it doesn't show up until after it's too late, right? Yeah, yeah, true. But I got a feeling that I could spend four or five hours out in the sun now and not burn. Yeah. On a, if in, in the north of America, yeah, you probably could. Yeah, North America, yeah. And the other thing is that I can totally relate to uh, what Paul said about fiber. Yeah. And my experiences confirm this. Mm-hmm. I had uh, some constipation for mm-hmm. a while and um, I dis- uh, somebody, a friend of ours – uh, 
advised me that maybe fiber was the problem, and it's kind of strange, but yeah. I thought that taking my three tablespoons of Metamucil or psyllium husk fiber in water every morning mm. was necessary in order for me to be regular, but uh, it wasn't the case, and, and this person just encouraged me to give it up altogether, and I did, and the first couple days was hard. Uh, yeah, your, 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 body, <laughs> your body's saying, wait a minute, I thought we were going to have some fiber here. <laughs> right. And after that, it was uh, smooth sailing. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I had exactly the same experience. So, I used to take uh, a, a tablespoon of psyllium husk in uh, like a milkshake thing, uh, like a, yeah. a, a whey protein milkshake at night right. because I, one, I thought I was was not getting enough protein. <laughs> Secondly, I thought I wasn't getting enough fiber. And, hmm. you know, that, I mean, we're told, and, you know, that, that's logical. When you're on a low-carb uh, sort of um, high-fat high diet, you, you, you think, well, you know, how am I going to get my fiber? How am I going right. to gonna get my necessary fiber in? Well, it turns out that fiber is not necessary for, for, for regularity. Um, right. You just think it is. You know, the first couple of days, it, I, I thought, oh, no, I've done something really stupid. <laughs> and, then, and you just basically said exactly what I did. I mean, like, yeah. it's a common experience, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and now I kind of yeah. think that all these people who think, oh, you're going to give yourself you're going to get prostate cancer and colon cancer because you don't have enough fiber. Well, yeah, but I'm also not gumming it up with with simple carbohydrates, with flours and sugars and all that yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. So right? We're going to speak actually next week with Stephen Finney about some things related to this because part of the reasons we think we need fiber is because we think fiber feeds our lower gut um, bacteria to produce mm. short-chain fatty acids, and, and Stephen Finney's got a theory on that as well. So, Oh, I can't wait. I anyway, can't wait for that. All this talk about delicious fiber has me hungry. Ah, uh, sure it does. Well, yeah. let's talk about some... Recipes! <laughs> uh, what you got, Cal? Well, you know, my my uh, neighbors in the Hilton Houston uh, Clear Lake are <laughs> surely not going to be knocking on the walls very soon. <laughs> I just made a whole bunch of noise. Okay. I am going to give you a Franklin family Christmas morning favorite recipe. This is a recipe that my mother and her grandmother and her grandmother, etc., etc., passed down to my brother and I uh, growing up in Connecticut. And this is a, a, from the Swedish side of the family. It's creamed eggs. Now, we traditionally did this on toast. So, we would have wheat toast and we would make these eggs and then you put them on top and, and this was Christmas morning. But you do not have to have toast. But if you're going to have toast, you should probably use the awesome buns from Fox Hill Kitchens, which you can get at bread.2keto.com. Yes, we actually do have an affiliate link. You will get <laughs> it's 50 cents. the only cents. one we have, I think. <laughs> but we love we'll Julie's bread. That's, she's come to oh, yeah. two of our Keto Fest. She's awesome, so it's the least we can do. She's the one that made the grilled cheese sandwiches exactly. at Keto Fest. Exactly. Yeah. And she begged us to have an affiliate link, so we said, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> sure. So, bread.2keto.com, pass it out. Mm -hmm. Um so, she makes these buns, and they're made with yeast. So, they're mm. almond flour, coconut flour, and yeast. And the idea is that the yeast 
uh, eats the residual sugar from the coconut flour and the almond flour as little mm-hmm. as it is and makes bubbles. Yeah. And this is the secret behind Fox Hill Kitchen's bread. So, mm. you get the buns, you cut them in half and toast them well done. All right. So, the eggs, it's very simple. Now, y- you and I have both made an anglaise for ice mm-hmm. cream, right? Yep. Yep. And an absolutely. anglaise is egg yolks and cream in a double boiler and you keep stirring until just the nappe stage where it coats mm-hmm. the back of a spoon. Yep. But this is similar, but you're going to use the whole egg. You're going to mm-hmm. use eight eggs and scramble them well and, and put them in a double boiler. And you're only going to use a cup of heavy cream. So when you say scrambled, you mean mixed them well? Mixed well, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what They're I mean. They're not scrambled eggs yet. They're not cooked yet. I, yeah, I don't mean what you eat, scrambled eggs. Right, yes. Okay. So they, yeah, are, they yeah. are scrambled, but not cooked yet. Yeah, mixed, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so you cook them in a double boiler, which is a, 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 a shallow pot of boiling water with a bigger pot on top of it. Mm-hmm. And so yep. that pot is usually a glass bowl or yeah, a, a ceramic or something, metal yeah. bowl or something, ceramic, whatever. So you put your eight eggs and your cup of heavy cream in there, maybe a pinch of salt, and herbs to taste. So the thing about eggs is that you can use whatever herbs you have that are fresh. So I love to use Herb de Provence. Mm-hmm. That's a mix, isn't it? So what's in that? So the herbs in Herb de Provence are typically savory marjoram, rosemary, thyme, oregano, uh, sometimes lavender. Mm, wow. Uh, if if it's in North America, mm-hmm. it, it's a really good blend. So it's mm. it's a very kind of a flowery nice blend and it's great with eggs. But you can also use dill, chives, chervil, tarragon. I mean, take your pick. Yeah. Any fresh herb is going to be great in scrambled eggs, really. Uh, yep. All right. So you're going to Bring that to a boil, so over high heat, and you're going to whisk it like crazy and whisk Mm -hmm. and whisk and whisk and whisk. Keep whisking until just before it turns into scrambled eggs. Right. And I know that's hard to gauge. Just before the curd's set. Yeah, so the curds are just 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 starting to want to form. They're probably stringy curds, and they're not quite set up, and that's when you stop. Right. I would say you start to pay attention when it starts to get thick and it's a little more difficult to stir. Do you have a cold pot uh, with some ice in it that you're going to put the the double boiler into to to stop it quickly? Yes, Richard, that is an excellent point. Obviously, you are a chef. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm a computer programmer. I thought we already established that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, seriously, that's a very chef-y move. So, what you do is you you get a bigger pot with some ice water in it, and you put that next to the stove. Mm. And when you've got the perfect consistency for your eggs, which is, you know, they're thickening but not yeah. scrambled, you take that bowl off the heat and you dump it in that bowl, and the ice water sort of stops the cooking process immediately. That's what you want to do. Yeah. But it's not going to turn it into ice cream, obviously. It's just going to mm. cool it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just going to stop a cooking, yeah. Now, you take your, your t- if you have toast, if you have this toasted julie bread, we call mm-hmm. it, <laughs> you just put a little butter on that and you just put the eggs on top. And we put a little salt and cayenne pepper on top. Nice. And that's it. You eat it with a knife and fork. Now, if you're keto, you don't even want to do uh, any kind of bread whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You just put that on your plate and maybe some shredded cheese over that, mm. like some cheddar or some nice. smoked gouda. Yeah. And 
It's delicious. Creamed eggs. Yeah. One thing you could do with that is you could actually use a shredded Gouda to make like a donut shape on your plate and then put the eggs into the oh. middle of that and it all will all hold together, but it'll be like a sticky, cheesy mess at the bottom. So yeah. that's a little chefy trick for, for plating. That is a chefy <laughs> trick. And not only that. <laughs> I'm not a chef. You're <laughs> well, you're chefy. But yeah. not only that, but because the cheese is on the bottom, it mm. melts. Mm, yes. Uh, more than if it's just sprinkled on the top. That's right. It's yeah. got two surfaces of heat. Mm. Yeah. I like <laughs> there it. There you go. Well. I like it. That's what I got. Creamed eggs a la Franklin family. What do you got? Yeah, my recipe this week is going to be a, a, a coconut curry. And it's okay. like a play on uh, a recipe I did two weeks ago, which was a vegetable stir fry. All of these recipes mm -hmm. are going to be very similar. And you might remember at the first Keto Fest I did – one recipe that ha that made six different meals. I did the pulled oh. beef, and then it made six different meals. Well, this is kind of what I'm doing on a vegetarian side. And you call yourself not a chef. A chef-y. There's <laughs> a difference. <laughs> you are a chef-y. Yeah. I'm chef-y. <laughs> what you do is you start off with a very similar thing. You start off with uh, some ghee in a pan. You want the ghee to melt. You then want to put some chopped diced shallots, onion shallots. And for a two-person meal, you probably only need half a shallot, or you can go to a full one. They're not really carby. Mm -hmm. And you want to get that uh, shallot to be see-through. So once the shallot has gone see-through, you want to add to it some chopped bell peppers. Uh, so this is a very similar. You see I'm going the same route as I went with the um, the stir-fry. I'm going to put very right. similar ingredients in, but the difference here is I'm going to put a tablespoon of curry paste and this is a green curry paste this is a thai green curry paste but you mm. can use a you can use a red curry paste when you go to the store you get these in jars get all of the curry pastes in front of you on a shelf lined up <laughs> with the nutrient the, the nutritional panel facing you and look for the ones that have the lowest carbohydrate you don't care about yeah. how much oil they have in them because you can add more oil or, or not what you don't want to be doing is you don't want to be adding starches sugars and starches to your meal yeah Look at the ingredients too. And look at the ingredients as well. It doesn't really matter if palm sugar is like the 50th ingredient, but if it's the second ingredient, you don't want to use any of that. <laughs> yeah. so, right. um, but you, and so basically you're going to use just about a tablespoon of this into a meal. Most meals, when you cook with these things, you, you probably use, you know, three or four tablespoons. Only use one tablespoon because what you're going to be doing is you're going to be developing the flavor uh by cooking it rather than right uh, and we, the other thing is by putting it in early when the onions have just started to go translucent you're just starting to sweat off the peppers you put the curry paste in then in that melted mm. butter and it's mm. going to cook and the flavor will be 10 times <laughs> greater than if you put a bit of curry paste in at the end of the recipe and what you're doing here is you're building these layers of flavor that's and right that's exactly oh yeah, so the next step it. the next step is you're going to chop up some mushrooms and you're going to add some mushrooms to that. And now remember that, that you probably want your, your uh, extractor fan on or you want to have somebody with a broomstick standing under your smoke detectors <laughs> because <laughs> as, as soon as your curry paste hits the butter, it's going to start smoking. So that's what it's supposed to do. I had to take the battery out of the kitchen smoke detector <laughs> You're not in my supposed house. to do that. Can, can you I know, still get, but can you it's still get in insurance? the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, but I, I smoke too much food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need an industrial strength extractor. <laughs> 
Or I need, you know what I need? I need an Alexa uh, <laughs> uh, interface to, uh, Alexa, shut that thing off. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Alexa, I'm cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so the next step, uh, we've, we've added, we've got uh, some shallots, we've got some red peppers, we've got the, the curry paste, we've got some mm-hmm. mushrooms. Um, chop up mm. a, a stick of celery and throw that in there. And what will happen with the celery is, the water will come out of it because you essentially have oil from the butter for the ghee at the, in the bottom. It, the celery is going to hit that oil and steam will fly off. And mm. so while that steam is coming off and what's going to happen is the celery is going to, is going to break down and then it's going to be the flavor of celery added to the meal. But while that steam is coming off, uh, outgassing from the, from the celery, throw in a handful of spinach leaves and put the top on. And what that's going to do is it's going to wilt the spinach leaves with the steam coming off the celery. And you're going to do that for about a minute, and then at the end, you're going to turn off the heat and put in some coconut cream. Mm. Now, let's define coconut cream because... It's not creamed coconut. (laughs) Yeah. I have seen creamed coconut, which has sugar in it, right? Yeah, that's coconut sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is coconut cream. So the way that coconut cream is made is you you take a, a, a fresh young coconut and you scrape out the inner layer of the insides and you pulverize it and then you, you push it through a filter and what's left is coconut milk. If you let that coconut milk sit, all the fat rises to the top and you scoop it off and that's coconut cream. So that's what okay. I'm talking about. In Australia, you can buy coconut milk and coconut cream in cans very easily. I found in uh, New London, Connecticut, I found it very difficult. I ended up buying coconut, uh, creamed coconut by mistake, uh, but it was coconut yeah. cream that we wanted. But it is available. Go to a, to a Latin store um, in yeah. New London, Connecticut, or you can find these things if you look for them. That's essentially the recipe. What's going to happen is that all of the stuff at the bottom underneath the spinach has turned into like a brown, tasty mixture. And when the coconut mm. cream hits that, uh, it will the coconut cream will go from white to sort of like a, 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 a almost a greeny yellow color. And yeah. uh, that plus the spinach. Um, and then you just eat oh. that with um, egg noodles like I made last week. And that's a vegetarian meal. I told you I'm enjoying cooking vegetarian. Ah, this is great. This is great. And and I can taste it with your description. (laughs) But so what if you wanted to add a meat to that if you're, you know, if you're eating meat? Yep. Where in the process would you add that? What what would you add to it? Okay. So I I will add tofu to that meal and I will use a puffed tofu like I did in the meal two two meals ago and I will cook that in a separate pan with ghee and puff it all up and so I would suggest with meat I would cook meat in a separate pan I would add the meat to your coconut curry sort of at the end about the same time as you add the coconut to it okay. uh, so the meat has its own flavor but it's now being used as a carrier like a, a vessel to carry the the coconut flavor to you so you end up with the two flavors you end up you chew down in you get the meat flavor but you also get the coconut curry flavor but okay. um, i would suggest also adding some stock to the pan after you've cooked the meat they'll be fond on the bottom of the pan don't right. put don't put that pan in the dishwasher while the pan <laughs> is still hot hit it with stock or brandy or red wine probably not red wine with this meal um, probably not brandy with this meal I'd, I'd, I'd use like a vegetarian like a mushroom stock or a or a veal stock and yeah just you only need like a tablespoon of the stuff and it's only just to pull all that nice sticky stuff off the bottom of the pan and then I'd toss that in the coconut milk and stir it mm. around and, and that'll sort of give the coconut milk just the essence of the meat flavor i'm thinking chicken thighs might be a good meal. 
Chicken thighs would be awesome. Chicken th- baked baked chicken thighs in the oven. Yes, and then t- and then toss them in the coconut curry at the top. You realize yeah. it's only two days to uh, Car November for you. Yeah, yeah, but at Car November <laughs> I can't eat any plants, so I'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm I, I can't I can't eat what I really want to eat until December. <laughs> yeah, eat whatever yeah. you want December. So, but you know, uh, I'm making one uh, exception to the to my rule. I am going to have one non-animal product and that will be mushrooms mushrooms technically are not plants uh so i will have some mushrooms in uh, (laughs) no everybody's got some exception to the rule that's based on a technicality right you you're allowed yours i'm gonna have eggs so i don't have to have liver so that's it. yeah (laughs) i'm gonna go carnivore in november also nice but i am going to allow garlic Mm -hmm. and i'm going to allow herbs okay other than that uh no veggies at all okay well, you know, yep. I mean, people like Amber O'Hearn, they, they, they're strict carnivore for, for health reasons. And uh, yeah. if she eats a little bit of garlic, it sends her, uh, it, it does awful things to her. But yeah, that's she right. can eat wasabi, which is interesting. You would interesting, have thought, yeah. You would have thought wasabi would be <laughs> way more evil than garlic, but no. I don't know. You know, there, there must be something in the, in the biology, uh, the chemistry of garlic yeah. itself yeah. that is a problem for her, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, my wife has a problem with onions. She can't eat onions. She can eat onion powder, yeah, but not the the actual body of the onion, or else she'd be in the bathroom all night. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, the only person who did over October with me was Karen Ogilvy. Oh, she did. She did. She did. So she did over wow. October for the whole month of uh, of October. Uh, I don't. I'm not aware of anybody else who did it. Uh, but I think that there's a couple of people like uh, you're definitely doing Carnivember with me, and I think a, I think a few other people are uh, are doing it as well. So uh, welcome to those who are. Um, uh, and so yeah. I, I hope you enjoyed as much as I plan to. That's very cool, and I'm I'm very glad that you did it. Uh, um, <laughs> took yeah. one for the team. <laughs> That's all. You took one for the team, so we didn't have to. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute, anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at dudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at 2KetoDudes. Make sure to use the hashtag 2KetoDudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look at the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, like t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all of the podcasts we produce, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. You can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And it appears that Carl's neighbor in his hotel has just started a karaoke party. So I'm going to finish up the whole thing. Uh, look, <laughs> Thank if, you. If you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Well, Carl, keep Calm Keto on and just... Don't karaoke. (laughs) Keep calm. Keto on. And I'm so glad this is over. (laughs) We'll see you next time 
on two keto dudes. <laughs> <laughs>